today's episode of Vice Versa, we're talking about why the end of coal is approaching fast, the truth around New York City banning Tesla taxis, Lego using recycled plastic for their bricks, and the Rivian R1T just being kind of epic again, and a lot more. As usual, I'm joined by Ricky Roy. How you doing, Ricky? I'm doing really well, Matt. Um, really quickly, not to put you on the spot, but I want to have a little special announcement. Mr. Farrell, uh, who runs the channel Undecided, just hit 500,000 subscribers. So huge congratulations to Matt. That is awesome. You're kind of, uh, I always talk, you're my hero. Um, and I uh, hope to be there one day as well. But uh, congratulations to you, man. Really Thank well you deserved. so much. And to me, it was really funny because this is my three-year anniversary, like on the day that I hit 500,000. It's just really weird and kind of surreal and a lot of fun. And I got to thank all the viewers that are subscribed and watch my videos. It's fantastic. Three years. That's pretty, that's pretty impressive. Really good for you. Um, so what was your video this week, by the way? Uh, this week, I talked about modular homes and how it's probably going to be the future of kind of uh, the future of uh, home building because it just makes so much sense to do it in a factory instead of building everything on site in a slow way. Because with modular homes, you can kind of parallel path things and it's faster and potentially cheaper in the long run. But there's still a ways to go and to make it more mainstream. What about you? That's really cool. Yeah, I'm actually planning on having an interview with Boxable. You've probably heard, heard about the, the little cube house where Elon is <laughs> allegedly living right now in Texas. But my video this week, actually, we had to push back from last week. So I, we had two videos this week. On Tuesday, we had a video on liquid metal batteries and how even though they're not as energy dense as our, lithi our lithium ion batteries of today, they might have a place. And the second was on my solar panels and how I've had them now for 10 years. It's been 10 years since I got my panel. So, um, that, God, how let me guess. Let me guess. You love your solar panels. Let me guess. Can't tell you that. You got to watch the video. You got to watch no, it. I'm not, I'm not no giving spoilers. away the... No spoilers. <laughs> They're up and running and making energy. I'll tell you that much. Pretty amazing. The first story is the one that we kind of want to lead with. And it is that Britain is to end coal power a year early. So, they already had a pretty aggressive target of 2025, and they're saying that you know what, we're gonna uh, be we're gonna be completely free of coal in our power mix by 2024. Um, there's there's some reasons for why they're doing this at this time. They're, they they want to be able to announce this. It sounds good uh, at the 2021 United Nations Climate Change Conference, which will be in Glasgow this year in November. So, I think at this point, what's really fascinating is every country wants to come off as like being forward thinking and being green and thinking about the future. So this is just one of those ways that they're doing it. Um, a think tank mentioned that in China, India, Indonesia, Japan and Vietnam are responsible for 80 percent of the world's planned new coal plants. So there are I mean, as good as the story is, there are countries that are still going to uh, be producing um, coal plants. The reason it comes up is because. The reason for why the UK is getting away from coal really is because it's not economically viable. So that makes you wonder, like, why on earth these other countries are doing this? Part of it is, like, if you're a young or uh, not a developed country, it is cheap to stand up a coal plant in comparison to some of the other plants out there. But um, the key really is to understand that this technology just is not going to be economically viable. And it's already a very small part of most of the modern, uh, more of the modernized countries and it is going to increasingly play a less and less role down to the point where, again, like I mentioned, you'd be losing money by using it, uh, which we're kind of already there. I remember when that happened with diesel generators and stuff. We, you know, we have these like diesel power plants that they're only really to be used if there's like a huge spike in energy, but they cost so much money to operate that they're just 
falling out of favor and no one's using him. Um, and this will be the same with Cole eventually. Yeah, the, the one thing I would want to bring up about that, the economics is in the, in the article they were talking about how um, it's if countries are going with coal, a new coal plant over the life of the coal plant is actually going to lose $150 billion that could be wasted over the course of going with coal. It's like the economics are just so not there. It's just, it's kind of perplexing why there are countries still doing it. Yes, maybe up front, it's quicker and easier to get that up online. But when you just look at what it's going to cost you over the course of having the, these in action, it's just insane that you would still go this path. Um, it's it's obviously not long for this world. <laughs> and uh, one th other thing that from the article I thought was really interesting was... Um, 40% of the UK energy used to come from coal. And in not too just long... Just 10 period, years ago. Yeah, just 10 just years 10 ago. Just 10 years ago. And today yeah. it's only 1.8%. So it's like in 10 years, they basically just ripped the Band-Aid off and got rid of coal. That's kind of astonishing. Um, the, the last coal plant, I believe, is going to be... This is one of the things that are getting kind of criticized for. It's in Cumbria, which I think is in the northern part of the UK. Um, it's a steelmaking plant. So there's still coal being used. And there's other countries that are in the same boat. I think the Netherlands is the exact same boat where they've kind of ejected coal power plants. And the last coal thing is, I think, an iron or steel plant there. So it's a similar thing of trying to get that now to use a different method of uh, energy generation, I mean, heat generation to, to produce right. the, the steel. But uh, So we want to get away from using coal yeah. to, you know, evaporate water, to make steam, to run a turbine, to make electricity, which is foolish. <laughs> Mm -hmm. But currently, you're right. We still need coal in the interest of melting metals. And but you can shift to things intensity. like natural gas and hydrogen for that kind of stuff. And like, I believe that's what they're doing in the Netherlands. The company that does the coal for the production, they've talked about in the next five to ten years, they're going to be transitioning off of coal for that as well. So it's like there are paths forward for this. Uh, but the one in Cumbria, I believe, is going to be a new uh, facility, which is one of those kind of giant question marks of why are you still going down this path now when there's other options that are available? Yeah, exactly. Also, a, I want to give a thank you to Michael Altoon, who recommended this story. He's one of our patrons uh, on our Discord for my channel, I believe. It might be as well for yours. I know he loves you as well. So it just kind of goes to show you that please, you know, like yes. let us know, write to us. We, we listen to your feedback and we love covering the stuff you guys bring up. Uh, so the next story, this kind of was in a <laughs> kerfuffle over the past week. Um, I think it was Teslarati published a story about uh, the New York City um, commission that manages the taxi medallions in New York City. Because if you don't know, they limit how many taxis are on the road to try to control traffic. Um, it actually goes all the way back to the 1930s during the Great Depression because everybody trying to earn a living, there was just a flood of taxis on the streets. It was jamming up the streets. There were more taxis than people. So they put this taxi medallion system in place to try to get that back in check and to control how many taxis can go in and out of the city because of the limited space and roadways. That's been in place for 80 or 90 years. Um, so this story broke because a company called Revel, which is trying to launch a EV, basically ride-sharing service in New York City in like the Man lower Manhattan area. They were trying to roll this out by using a loophole in the current restrictions for taxis. And the commission basically said, no, you can't do that thing. That's not the intention of the loophole that was in there uh, because the restrictions that are in place that have been over the past couple of years, they've basically frozen, basically saying no new taxis with the exception of 
electric vehicle taxis, or taxis that are wheelchair accessible. So Revel came in and said, hey, we're gonna launch 50 EV Tesla Model Y taxis because that's the exception. And the commission basically said, no, that's not the case. The intention of this was to transition existing taxis that are gas taxis into electric, not to make it a just free-for-all just to go electric because you could end up adding thousands of more taxis to the roads, which they're trying to prevent. So Revel basically got called on it and the news broke. And this is where I think the story kind of, <laughs> they lost the thread. And this is the world that we currently live in with social media and everything happening lickety split and nobody has the patience to look at context around the stories. It just came out that the commission told Revel they would have to basically buy 50 gasoline taxis and then convert them into the 50 electric taxis. And that's what like Tesla Roddy and others were reporting. And that's not what was actually going on here. I got contacted directly by viewers. I got some emails and direct messages on Twitter and things like that of like, can you believe this? And my first reaction was that is the worst thing I've ever heard but there's gotta be more to it. And that's what happened over the past week is what came out it was they're not banning electric taxis. What they were saying is the loophole that Revel was trying to use, they were using it in a way that it was not intended. And that's all they were shutting down. In theory, if they had 50 gasoline taxis in operation already, they could convert those to Model Ys. But because they have no taxis in operation right now, they can't add to the existing set. So. We could get into a whole debate of whether the taxi medallion system in New York is just a crazy pants, why are they still doing this thing? I think we might have to, man. It might, yeah. might come to it. I don't know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but when you look at what the rules are and how they're being used, Revel kind of manipulated the media attention around this to get people on their side and get people riled up. And to me, that actually was more distasteful than what the commission actually did. The commission didn't do anything wrong here. They're trying to get taxi companies to go electric it was Revel that was kind of playing a little bit of a media game here. And so it's, I think it, the, the story did a basically 180 over the course of the past week for me. So it's, it's kind of interesting. What's your take on all this? So first of all, I will say, this is what kind of concerns me with our current culture where the news like boil it down to 10 words for me. That, that's what all I need. And this is what people will see and they'll think that, you know, NYC is out to get Revel and other EV makers and stuff. But Always, what I've learned as I've gotten older, all stories, there's way more to it than you probably realize. Yeah. And the, the more you dig into it, the more uh, that becomes clear. So for, for our viewers out there, if a story like this ever emerges again in the future, let us know. Like if you heard a headline that sounded like, wait a minute, how could, you know, this company uh, doesn't like puppies. Like that can't be true. Like what, what's really going on? <laughs> and if you have one of those examples, like let us know and we'll, we'll cover it because I think this is a good platform for that. We get an hour of people's time and let's dig in a little bit deeper than like the headline. Um, so next let's talk about the government. We, Matt and I probably, we agree a lot, but this is probably where we disagree more than anywhere else. Um, Rewind time to 1930 when they had this issue where there were all these people trying to be taxi car drivers. Well, the reality is it wouldn't have lasted very long because if you have 100 cab drivers and 50 passengers, that's not going to last very long. Eventually, these guys are going to be like, yeah, I'm out of business. I can't do this anymore. They'll sell their car. They'll move. They'll do whatever and go do something else. The natural way, like just without laws, without regulation, without government, the natural way would have eventually taken it, taken care of itself. But because we did it this way, now we have this 
secondary market where we talked about this, Matt, before the show, where people are buying medallions for like $100,000 and paying a loan, like a mortgage against it. And now they're competing with Uber and Lyft where they come in and they're just you know, hailing ride chairs everywhere and revel and this and that. It just becomes a weird thing where you don't know who to cheer for, who to feel bad for. I feel bad for this cab driver who bought a $100,000 piece of paper that says I can drive a cab in this city. It's absurd. The whole thing to me is, is, is wildly absurd. I agree that we got to solve the problems. But my personal philosophy is governments almost always do more harm eventually because of there's all these unintended consequences, even though it sounds like they want to do the right thing. But by driving like this artificial medium into what really would naturally would happen all along, I think um, things are bound to get screwed up. But I'm glad to we covered this story in more detail. I actually wasn't aware of this one until you brought it up, and I'm glad one of your viewers did. Yeah, um, it's it's tough. There's still all kinds of goofy stuff. Like wh- if they could have medallions, if they had a gas car to convert, wh- why is that law? That law is equally stupid, right? Are you telling <laughs> Revel they need to go lease a gasoline car, register it, and then swap it out? What what? What has that accomplished? It's such a foolish thing. And far too many government laws are like this where they just, like, what does it accomplish? Or... But it's not exactly that. It's it's one of those, they've just, the past two years, I think it is, they just froze new taxis. Like, there's no new taxis being added, gas or electric. Right. And once they open that back up again, Revel could come in directly with EVs. They don't have to go gas first. It's just that there's no new cars being added to the roads at the moment. And one of the reasons that they extended this moratorium was because of covid right it's had a huge impact on the whole livery industry in new york like tons of people out of work and not working well and they want to make sure the people that make their living through this that have the medallions that have the permission to do it can come back they want to kind of let the livery system kind of come back into order before they open back up the medallion system again to new entrants and it was just Revel that was trying to kind of end run around that and get into to it right now because they saw the loophole of, oh, if you convert to EV, you can do that. And it was like, well, they didn't have taxis in the first place. So you, what are you converting? You're not converting anything. So right. no, because you're going to be adding. That's a fair point. To, to the system, which is why they did this. The whole medallion system is broken. It's, it's, it's weird. It's antiquated. The fact that only, I think it's yellow cabs operate in Manhattan. And there's like black, you know, like taxis in the whole new york city area like those are the ones that operate in like brooklyn and queens and they can drop you off in manhattan but they can't pick up new people in manhattan to take you out they just have to leave and go pick people up only yellow cabs can operate in manhattan there's so many weird stupid bah so it's like i understand the sentiment of trying to control traffic it's if they just opened it up i don't know if you've been to new york recently but it feels like there's way too many taxis already. Like you just, the street is just lined with taxis. And it's like, it's it's a huge traffic problem. It's one of the reasons why it's so bad to drive through there. So it's like, if they opened it up, it would be like the Wild West and it could turn into a Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome kind of situation where I understand why they're trying to control it, but it seems good intentions have kind of created a really bad situation. It's like, I don't know how they get out of it. It's just a hot mess. So one thing you mentioned, I appreciate that clarity, clarification because I think I was not thinking of it this way. You mentioned Revel really is cheating because yes. what they were saying is yes. if you already have a gas taxi medallion, you're already operating and you want to convert to electric, go for it. Go ahead, do it. Yeah. But we're not taking anyone new because these, like you mentioned, these guys are suffering. And now the business is just opening up and picking up again. 
Could you imagine if you just opened the floodgates and let like a million new operators in town? Those guys who've been suffering for a year with would never come probably, back. Probably like living on assistance for and stuff. They would never come back. They would get screwed again. So that is not cool on Revel's part. And and spinning this entire narrative to make it sound like this that really is not cool and definitely does leave a sour taste. Yeah. Um, the second part to your point about the, the just the supply demand problem. Again, we've already done this. Like I maybe it's the Silicon Valley arrogance in me, but I feel like <laughs> software can solve everything. I I do I do I do have this problem. I'll admit. Um, but like Uber and Lyft do this all the time. San Diego is not New York. We don't have all this absurd anything. But if you're going to be a Lyft driver in San Diego and all these people start driving Lyft and suddenly that your your rate goes down because there's so much uh, supply. Maybe there's no one to pick up. You're barely doing anything, then you quit. But there's systems that already kind of work. Or if there's 10 drivers and 1,000 people who need drivers, there's surge pricing. And we've kind of already figured out how to do this. There's already like incentive models to, to like, hey, if there's not enough drivers, you can make a ton of money and you get more drivers. But then there's too many drivers, it shifts the other way. No one's making money. Some of those drivers quit. And then you, you get, that's equilibrium, right? It's kind of like if you put a rock on a hill, yeah. uh, it might be perfectly stable, but a little breeze is going to knock it down, but it'll come into a state of a stable equilibrium. And I, I believe most models of business kind of fall into that category as well. Maybe I'm wildly off on that and I'm optimistic or idealistic, but um, it's funny. But I, I think we can agree that the way that this story was presented uh, definitely makes you uh, furl your brow a little bit. Yes. Always look for the context. That's my yes. takeaway from this. Or bookmark vice versa and let us provide it for you. <laughs> yes. So the next story we have is a lot more fun. It's about how Lego is revealing their first ever bricks made from recycled plastic bottles. So here is a kind of a batch. They're doing testing. Right? They need to make sure that it meets the Lego certification for like strength and durability, safety. Right? Plastic is a funny thing. Uh, you've got some really dangerous forms of plastic and then more like, you know, human Potable, water-safe plastics. There's a whole gamut of it. So um, this is different than this initiative they had back uh, starting in 2015, where they were making uh, Lego bricks from things like sugarcane. And those are kind of bioplastics that also worked to some degree. But there's probably a little bit of a limitation in terms of strength and durability of the brick itself. And so this is purely recycling old plastic, um, PET plastic discarded bottles. So I think this picture kind of sums it up pretty well. This is a great yeah. uh, marketing picture. But this is truly recycled plastic. This is plastic that would end up somewhere bad and not do any good for anybody that they are recycling. We need this desperately because there's currently there's no incentive to recycle plastic. If you ever had a recycle bin and you've been putting plastic water bottles in there and feeling good about yourself, I have some bad news. Yeah. There's really... It's so cheap to make plastic that recycling plastic in any form is, is 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 just not done. For a long time, China was buying our plastic and doing who knows what with it, but they're not doing that anymore. So plastic recycling is kind of a um, <laughs> dark and depressing reality that a lot of people don't realize. But what we need is companies who make products like Legos that are beloved, who could afford the extra N cents per gram of plastic to go over the recycled route. And then they start bragging about, you know, these are made from recycled parts. Other companies realize, like, look how much more money they're making because they're eco-friendly. And we need to spur, like, an industry to to catch on to this concept. And until then, um, we're going to be in the same mess that we're in. So kudos to Legos. I love what they're doing. And Matt and I agreed 
that I'm going to, after this show, I'm going to have to buy this uh, West yeah. is, uh, wind turbine kit from Legos, which seems freaking cool. Yeah, it's motorized. The whole wind turbine turns and everything. It's really, really neat. I, my, my take on this story was just, we desperately need this. And I love how you hit on the, it's the chicken or the egg problem. It's like, sometimes it's like, you kind of have to, somebody has to basically break the ice. It's like right now there's no, there's no financial incentive to really go after recycling plastics because the money isn't there. But as soon as enough companies go at it in volume, it can create a little industry within there where there's actually ways to make money from recycled plastics, which means more people start collecting it and reusing it and getting it out of the landfills, keeping it away from the oceans. It's like a great way to move this forward. And the fact that Lego is trying to do this, they're just kind of planting their flag in the sand and saying, this is what we're going to do. It's great. Um, it's interesting how long it's taken them to get here. It's like all the different variations they had to go through. It's like 250 variations to test this. It's just kind of insane. And there's one video interview I watched of them talking about it. And he said the new ones, they don't lock as tightly as they want yet. Like there's, a, it feels different to lock. And so they're still working on that. It's like the little nuances that they have to think about. And then the other side of it is they haven't figured out how to color them yet. The, the, the pictures that you showed of like just that kind of off-white color. Like, yeah. It's like they haven't figured out how to dye them yet to make those vibrant colors that we know and are familiar with. It's like, so that's like the next thing they have to tackle. So it's still a couple years away before we start seeing these out in the wild. But it's, it's awesome that they're, they're going there. But it also got me wondering about, like, there's other ways to make plastics, too. Like, there's algae, because you can use algae oils instead of petroleum to actually make plastics that then also can be broken down again. It's like, I'm curious if they've looked at those as well. Somebody, some YouTuber should make a video about, <laughs> like, if there's an organic way that we could grow plastic. Someone should do that. Oh, yes, Matt Farrell has done that. Think of that. <laughs> Check out Matt Farrell's channel. He has one, the most, one of the most amazing videos you'll see about how we could use mycelium fungi for creating plastic. Pretty yeah. amazing stuff. It's cool. Uh, stuff. Really quickly, uh, Mark Del, uh, Denlinger says, I bought water bottle holders for my bike that are made from recycled fishnet. So that's... Oh, that's neat. Cool. That's a fan. Fishnet is like the biggest defender of 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 our oceans like it is by far the worst thing so that's really cool yeah we mentioned right i was watching a video where they talked about how the first solid state batteries will go into like million dollar supercars like supercar evs because if the battery cost is absorbent it, it'll be it'll be a wash in the high cost of the car overall it's not going to go into an economy car i think of it the same way um we're, we're not going to have companies that make super cheap plastic water bottles be first in line to to be all about recycling and stuff. It'll be companies where it's a toy that they sell for $50 or if the, the, the unit price for plastic went from 88 cents to $1.50, who cares? You can easily eat that in the $50 product itself. So I think, um, I think more people will, will, uh, will, will follow suit in that higher end category of plastic toys and things like that. And we just got a super chat from Mark. So thank you very much, Mark. Uh, he said, the off-white Legos, more castle sets it is. No dyes needed. It's like, very true. <laughs> I love that. I love the spirit. That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, I, this is... <laughs> so, uh, Che Yoon says, does it pass the Legos to foot pain index? This is real. I can <laughs> yes. tell you for a fact. So, Lego, <laughs> if you want to drop a couple in my son's uh, bedroom at night, I'll, I'll v validate the, the pain threshold and make sure it's in tolerance with, 
Lego's current products. <laughs> I love it. Oh, boy. Well, next up is actually kind of another fun story that we're going to talk about. It's back to the Rivian R1T. Um, this video came out, and I was just like, I got to talk about this. This is just insanely cool. Um, they showed off their, you know, the kitchen set that you can get for that little cubby hole in the side of the Rivian. And this video is just, man, it's just incredible what this thing can do. Uh, some of the things it's got, it's got a 1400 watt induction cooktop. It's got a sink off on the right that like she's opening it right now. The sink pops down and it even has a four gallon uh, container of water with a little hand spout that you can pull out to do your dishes and clean things off. It's got a 30 piece Snow Peak kitchen set in the drawers on the back of it. Um, and it all slides in and out of that little tunnel system inside the, the Rivian. Now, granted, this is a, I think it's a $5,000 edition, so it is, it's a little pricey, but at the same time, this is just a killer, just example of what you can do with an electric vehicle that you can't do with a gas vehicle, because I don't know how many gas trucks would be able to power a 1,400-watt induction cooktop easily, but with a gigantic battery pack, that's obviously something very easy to do. So if you're into trucks and camping, this should probably look very appealing. It's just, this kind of blows me away. Yeah, um, so Robert Powell says, I can't wait for my Rivian with the kitchen sink. Robert is our friend. We met in fully charged with the electric uh, motorcycle conversion. And he is a early reservation holder. So there's a chance I might fly out with Robert and maybe we'll do a road trip from uh, Rivian's factory down to, to Texas where he lives with his Rivian. So we might, we might do that on my channel. But the, <laughs> this truck just gets cooler with every, like, passing week yeah. i feel like look at the shape of that like they must have thought to themselves we got this big pass through just imagine the possibilities and i, I believe you can take it out and well, then she's, she's, about to going, she's, she's about to demo that about, right now in the video so where, you take it out and you go skiing you can put your skis in there again and then you're going on your little rv holiday and then you 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 go on that that's fantastic i love the shape of it love the design it has such a modern design aesthetic to it all it doesn't feel like um like typical car accessories, it feels really built in and perfect and modern. That's so cool. Look at that. That's how it integrates into the, yeah. I love this. I really do. I think this, Matt, you always say that one of the things you love about EVs is all the new reimaginings of all the yes. stuff we've always done. And this is exactly that. It's, it's rethinking what you can do with a truck. So um, this story is about how Canada is going to ban new gas cars by 2035. I think Matt kind of alluded to this with banning like coal or other other things but countries are pretty much taking their stand and they talk about how you know some of these different countries have chosen different dates like for example the uk it's 2030 they'll ban the sale of new internal combustion engines by 2030 uh, france is 2040 canada splits the difference there at 2035 but this is kind of a big deal and uh matt i kind of mentioned this to you uh there's a graphite mine company in quebec called Nouveau Monde Graphite Mine, who invited me out to, uh, to see their, their operation. And Canada takes uh, emissions and, uh, and global climate change very seriously. When they got commissioned for that mine, they told the, 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 the county of Quebec, that the city of Quebec, that their plan was to be fully sustainable. And one of the things that wasn't was all their hardcore equipment, right? All the augers and drills and the excavators, all those were diesel powered. 
So they're teaming with a company called Caterpillar, who you've probably heard of, one of the biggest industrial companies in the world, to build electric versions of all those big heavy rig machinery uh, pieces, which is really, really fascinating and really cool. So I love seeing countries like Canada that are on the cutting edge. The U.S., I feel (laughs) we have some catching up to do. (laughs) Yeah. But they take this seriously, man. And I'll tell you, EVs are harder there. Like, look at the snow on that ground. I mean, I had a, I think I told you, Matt, I used to work in aerospace engineering. And we did this flight test with Canada, the Canadian Forces, where I spent two weeks up in Cold Lake, Alberta, which is about three hours north of Edmonton. It was negative 50 degrees outside for the two weeks I was there. I felt like it feels like getting punched in the chest every breath you take. And they, uh, and I mentioned this, there were, there are plugs already at every restaurant. You know why? Because when you plug, you, you pull up your ice car, you plug it in to heat the block to keep it from freezing over because at negative 50, even a gas car won't turn on. So they're already ready for electric vehicles, but there are some serious challenges and Canada seems to, to be ready for that. I love that. It seems yeah. like if there was a country like Russia or Canada, people in the Northern Hemisphere is very cold climates. I would give them a pass to be later in the game, but they're cutting edge of it. Yeah, somebody in the comments pointed out he was, who is from Canada, that Canada had already banned it by 2040 and they're moving that date up. So it's still a step in the right direction, however you look at it. Uh, for me, though, as as an American, go America, uh, it's making me embarrassed because basically every country in the world has basically done this. Like China's done it. Most European countries have done it. Canada's doing it. It's like everybody is doing this. But there's a, like this flip side to it of at this point now, it feels like the United States doesn't need to do it because there's so much movement on this front around the world. EVs, <laughs> it's, it's unavoidable at this point. So we're going to get dragged along. We're going to benefit from this, whether we make the ban ourselves or not at this point. So I'm kind of torn whether we need to do it or not. What's your take on that? For me, I think the angle that I've been thinking, we've talked about this on the show, is I think that we're going to see a reemergence of the importance of manufacturing. Mm. And manufacturing was like the, the coolest thing in the world in 1950. America was a manufacturing juggernaut. It's how we won World War II. We could just outproduce the Germans and the Japanese in, in terms of like building uh, aircraft by a huge margin. We were like the powerhouse manufacturing country. And then manufacturing became overhead. And how can we lower cost? And first was automation, which is a good thing. But then it was outsourcing around the world. My worry really is if the U.S. doesn't take it really seriously, that U.S. companies, other than Tesla, which I think will be a powerhouse figure, other than Tesla, the U.S. is not going to be a huge player in the EV world, which will be sad, right? South Korea has shown a lot of interest Uh, Japan, seemingly as well, doesn't seem very interested. China, I mean, imagine if in 2050, most cars you buy will be Chinese made and all the brands are Chinese brands. Things can shift. People don't realize nothing is for, you can't take things for granted. Just because of our industries of today, uh, that doesn't speak anything to how the future will look. Um, I used to also work a lot in Finland and Tampere, Finland is where Nokia's headquarters used to be. And it was like Nokia town. Guess what happened? Yeah. You didn't keep up. You know, this happens all the time. So yeah. I'd hate for the U.S. to lose their position as a, com- as a country that makes a lot of vehicles. But if they don't ship up, uh, they don't shape up, um, <laughs> they could be left behind by countries that are more eager to take that leap. You know, we have Volvo in, in Sweden. Uh, China is going to be a massive player. And I think China might actually be a, a large exporter as well. 
But that's kind of where I like I feel like you don't we don't need to worry about that too much because if the rest of the world is saying you got to sell us EVs or we're not buying your cars, GM, you know, Ford, Tesla, Rivian, all these companies that are here in the United States, if we're doing the manufacturing here, they're going to have to start manufacturing EVs to be able to sell around the world like they do today. So it's like the incentive to do it is already there. So it's like it feels like if the U.S. puts a mandate like this in place, whether it's 2040 or 2050 or whatever it is, it's like it just is like a nail in the coffin that you almost don't need because <laughs> it's everything's moving that direction anyway. All the companies seem to see the writing on the wall, so they're all starting to shift in that direction anyway. So I'm excited to see what Canada did here. It's another thing we need to have happen. But it's like at this point, I'm just I'm still on the fence as to whether it really matters if the United States makes a policy about it or not, because we're already seeing movement in this direction from American manufacturing companies already. Yeah, that's a good point. It's a good point. Um, yeah, it does seem like the U.S. Uh, well, maybe with the new Biden administration, we got to yeah. give them time. It's still really early on. Uh, they'll reverse some of those trends. But uh, from the, the previous administration definitely was moving us in the opposite direction, you know, pulling ourselves out of climate accords and stuff. But yeah, let's hope that the U.S. eventually makes it makes uh, such a mandate. But to be honest, I don't see them doing it. I think in the U.S. it'll just be economics. It'll just be, yes. I don't want a boring, slow <laughs> gas car that is stupid. Yeah. Why would I want that? Yeah. I want a car that no, has no maintenance and every, everything else. So I think in the U.S. it'll be the free market that just says like, yeah, we don't want your gas cars. We want yep. By 2035 here in the United States, I'll be shocked if it's more, if it's cheaper to buy a gas car. It's like, it's going to be at a point where it's like, you're going to have to you may not be thinking right if you're still buying a gas car in 2035 because it's going to be more expensive than an electric car. So it's like, by that point, it's kind of where I'm like, I don't think the policy is actually needed at this point for us because we're just going to end up there anyway, which is great. <laughs> I'm excited about that. I was thinking of companies like Subaru. I've always wanted like a Subaru STI, which is their really fast version. So there's like the Impreza and then there's the WRX, which is a little bit faster, all-wheel drive. And the STI is like 300 horsepower, really pretty bonkers, a really nice rally car, good wheelbase, six-speed manual transmission. But, you know, building those cars are not that reliable. One of my friends that had one had the, like the engine, like one of the so, like the piston heads blow up. And it was like a $7,000 uh, engine rep- repair at 80,000 miles, right? That's the problem with gas cars. Trying to make a performance 300 horsepower gas engine, it's going to suck. It's not going to be reliable. Supercars. You can't just drive them like normal cars. You got to do tons of maintenance to keep them from falling apart. Um, so the electric, like imagine a, a Subaru, for example. What if you guys just knock it off and start building EVs? A, a WRX or a STI Subaru EV with two dual motors. You could easily, you could have 400 horsepower and it would just wildly blow away all, uh, all of your fans' expectations. Um, companies like that, I think, should embrace this because the future... Yeah electric cars is so much easier like they've had to spend so much time investing this engine and you could knock it out of the park with like two off-the-shelf electric motors without even (laughs) thinking too much about it it's it's true welcome to the future (laughs) thank you guys so much as always for watching wow how quickly an hour goes by the time just flew by yeah and don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already hit that notification bell so you don't miss out on future episodes we're live every thursday now right now at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. And as always, you can listen to the podcast version of the show at viceversa.show. As always, thanks so much for watching. We'll see you in the next one.